Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am rejoined by Dennis Chahook. Dennis, welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Jonathan. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> yeah. So my pleasure. Um, so last time, just for a little context, listener, uh, Dennis came on a previous episode, talked about uh, his experience in the context of the pricing seminar and and the different sort of doors that opened mindset wise. But then we got talking about what his business is like now after the fact and after we stopped recording and I was like, oh, this would be a good episode. <laughs> People would really get a lot of out, out of this. So we're going to talk about that today. But first, for context, could you remind folks who you are and what you do? So, yeah, my name is Dennis Chahuk. I'm a coach. I used to be a purely software developer. Um, and with the help of TPS and a lot of other courses, I've managed to sort of go from purely employed software engineer, tech lead, software architect, to now being a coach, focusing on helping tech leads sort of get modularity and productivity and proper agility um, into their um, weekly, monthly cadence, um, just to get the stress off of their team. Mm. I'm generally helping out teams, small teams in either startups or mid-sized businesses in tech, where they're just dogmatically or routinely following bad advice from the industry, you know, like doing shadow agile or dark scrum as it's, as it's, it's called. And, and just not knowing any alternatives and not questioning their process. Mm. So what I'm doing specifically with them is what I now call just in time training. So rather than having an isolated workshop where they then have to align what they learned to how they will apply it and then maybe run into trouble with their manager or maybe some of the team members. I join the team directly and then coach them and most of the time observe and give advice, um, but also pair with them if necessary mm -hmm. uh, on their critical path project and on the critical path of their critical project. Right. So the, the most important part of the code base. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I have a lot of folks in Ditcherville and, and other folks I've coached privately that probably have a similar desire they have a similar skill set where they've got a lot of experience coding they, uh, they've kind of moved up the ranks they became more interested in helping teams function better and i haven't had i can't think of too many examples where that was super successful you know it was like tough to get leads it's mm -hmm. tough to keep the team engaged you know maybe i've, I've had people who sort of set up uh a Slack connect room where their two Slacks are connected and the team can ask them questions at any time and no one ever does. And it ends up, you know, like a retainer type of model where it's an ask me anything unlimited, but then no one uses it. So eventually they churn. So, you know, and we were talking last time, I know from the last time that, that this is going well for you. So I would love it if you could share the sort of secret sauce of, you know, the, me the mechanics and the nuances of how you get it to work in a way that delivers value, enough value to the clients that they're happy to pay. So mm -hmm. maybe we could start with, maybe we could start with where your leads come from. How do you get leads in the first place? How do people, um, and who are your leads? Who is the buyer? Is it, is it someone, is it a tech lead or is it somebody on the dev team that hears about you and, and convinces their boss to bring you in or are you positioning yourself to attract the buyer and directly and who is the buyer so to jump a bit into that other context that you followed up with regarding software engineers being on a similar path mm, okay i i was on that path so i was going up in the ranks of seniority as as an employed software engineer but then i saw that if i wanted to increase the revenue that i capture from increasing the the value that i provide I would have to join some kind of fan company, which for me, living in Slovenia meant reloca relocation because mm -hmm. our our fiscal laws don't aren't really aren't really supportive of any kind of company who gives best shares or or best stock options. So um, I would have to you know move to the Czech Republic or Switzerland, and you know with two babies right now, that that's not really an option. <laughs> so I wanted to go from this model of being employed to freelancer, but then. I realized that being a freelancer, uh, if I did my if I did my job really well, I would be paid less, paid hourly. Right. So, but but the fixed price freelancer model didn't work um, because 
you know, people just wanted me, you know, either part-time or full-time on a, on a project or daily. And um, then we'll have arguments about, you know, how much this is worth based on time investment. Yeah. Uh, the so thing that worked. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you knew, so you're like, hmm, all right. Dilemma, <clears throat> rock in a hard place, looking around. That's probably, probably brought you to TPS the first time. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I'm a double boomer, boomerang. I'm doing TPS for the third time. For the third time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for details on that, folks, you can check out our previous interview. Um, okay, so so that's great. You, so there's the problem statement. You're like stuck. You're like, all right, I want to make more money because I'm providing more value, or at least I feel like I am, but I can't. There's no obvious path for you, mm -hmm. given given your constraints. So, so that's the me yeah. side. Mm-hmm. The the client side, my ideal buyer is a is a, is a tech lead, a te an engineering manager, some kind of VPE, uh, a tech technical leader in engineering that has direct reports who are individual contributors. Mm -hmm. So it's Got it's it. very it's very hands on, it's very tactical. Uh, yep. And the, and the, the value that I bring is that a lot of engineers in the industry, from what I saw, never had the fortune of being on on a, on a great project and. I was lucky in having joined several and then a lot of people followed me through my career and sort of job hopped together. And after I received feedback from them, partly due, due to me doing TPS, I realized that what we did on those projects, the way the way I did them, the way we did them together worked really well. And I wanted to share that. So what I am sharing is how I run a project and where that works and why that works and how to adjust that to a particular team's scenario. Mm -hmm. um but directly on their project not as a workshop yeah i like that just-in-time training framing that's pretty cool mm -hmm. it sounds it just sounds super um just directly beneficial it's, it feels closer to the money so to speak so if you so the expensive problem that you solve i don't want to put words in your mouth but it, it seems pretty obvious based on the situation but what what would your buyer say the expensive problem is that you solve for them so like they're in some kind of pain what pain is that what symptom are they experiencing and how would they know for that when they feel that how would that trigger them to think of you i mean the immediate pain is that their tech department the team that they're leading is a cost center not a profit center, mm -hmm. particularly having repetitive outages or unexpected higher maintenance costs, or may maybe they're just pivoting is not as cheap as they would like. Yep. Primarily the way that they get me is either through testing automation or domain driven design or some combination of agility and um, bridging the gap between the business side, the value stream and the engineering side, the tactical side. Okay, so and they find are... me and they yeah. find me on LinkedIn. I post daily on LinkedIn, okay. and uh, I've wrote, I've written a few booklets as to serve as magnetly uh, lead magnets, mm -hmm. and oftentimes they come to me and say, "Hey, Dennis, I have that problem on page sixty-two, <laughs> and can we talk?" Um, and that's how they find me. What are but, some of the What are some of the titles? Like, what your most popular booklet? What are they called? So the my booklet that I like sharing is the known is the no nonsense test driven development booklet. Mm -hmm. um, I highlight the return on investment on test driven development because a lot of a lot of folks just go into it as if it's you know a game for craftsmen for engineers. Mm -hmm. But really, the point the point the point I'm trying to make is well, you need to understand how this is valuable to the, to the customer. Like you need to understand how doing TDD or not doing TDD or doing domain driven design or any combination of these craftsmanship skills that are you know being flown around is. Like even microservices that are being mentioned as popular and fashionable in the industry, you need to understand the ROI for the customer and for your team. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I'm exposing. That that's what I'm helping them bridge. Because may, maybe they don't need it, but maybe they want some aspect of it. Maybe their code base is not modu modular enough. Maybe the team is just stressed out of their mind doing deployments because something breaks the last day um, for every release. Yeah. That, that is a strong pain point that they that they bring me on for. Mm. Cool. All right, yeah, that's that's painful for sure. So the let's call, let's just say VPs to sort of summarize like the the tech lead, mm -hmm. ideal buyer, someone like that, and the, you're active on LinkedIn. You've got these booklets. These people are they know they have a pain. You know, Friday deploys are a nightmare. They're having outages. The team is stressed beyond belief. I I have to imagine there's a lot of disengagement and churn in the team. You know, like mm -hmm. they're they're is a revolving door 
developers are coming and going. Everyone's probably super cynical. Um, exactly. Have, have yeah. they tried anything? What else might they have tried? Or what are, what are some other common things that they might have tried before calling you? So oftentimes they turn me down and then I follow up asking, you know, okay, not the right time. But then I ask them if they would share what alternative they went with. And usually they, they, they tell me that they went with an agile coach. Mm -hmm. And then three months after that, I usually follow up. And 90% of the time they tell me, yeah, we decided to do an agile coach, but it was meh. So <laughs> we didn't really pursue that path. Yep. Uh, and then we start talking again. Because I don't like marketing myself as an agile coach. Like I don't teach agile. I I train the team on how to be like if you have a team they're and they're not being themselves, I help the team be more them rather than something dogmatic from the industry. Hmm. That's interesting. Like to figure out their own way of what works for them and mm -hmm. what what works generally from the industry that would apply to them where they are right now. Because if you if you tell somebody, yeah, you need to have CI/CD and Kubernetes <laughs> and microservices and buy this and go serverless and AWS, everybody's like, Dennis, get the fuck up. Um, I don't have money for this. Like, I can barely pay my next junior developer, and yeah. it, this is not this is nonsense. Yeah, You're expensive. The next person I'm going to hire expensive. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me to buy more servers. Yeah, and and while we're at it, let's rewrite the code base and go or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so that's, that's awesome. That's hilarious. You, you touched on something important there though, is that mm -hmm. a lot of times when they hire me, the team has already been replaced like two, three, four times. And the current team is so cynical because they are, they are no longer the original authors of the code base they're working on. Mm -hmm. And if the code base is a bit mech and hard to work with, they might be fully disincentivized and uninspired to make any qualitative changes to the code base. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they are then perpetually stuck in this, well, we don't have tests, so we want to write tests, but our code base is not testable. But it's really hard to make it testable without having tests because we need to refactor. And, and, and it, we're already breaking stuff as is. If we start changing stuff in order to write tests, we're going to break more. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. So they hire me to help them during that period where it gets worse. Got it. Uh, to shorten it. Um, but you know, my success story is most companies that hire me, they go from zero tests to some tests written in the first week so that the team writes it themselves. And I just, you know, hold their hands as much as possible. Mm. And generally speaking, how big are these teams that you're coaching? Uh, five to 15 people like okay. pizza scale, pizza scale. Yeah. Right. All right. So, uh, so what the, so I, I love the sort of patience in the sales process that you giving the buyer time to. Uh, explore options and and I think you said 90% of the time that they go with an agile coach they're like yeah that didn't work yeah and okay so you planted the seed what happens then when you reach back out is it immediately do you have like a sales interview or do you have a productized service like what's the what's the uh, I don't like using the word pitch but what's the offer at that point That's... when when they're ready to buy I'm still trying to figure that out generally there's a combination of me just having a why conversation with them on a call. So I meet with the tech lead generally mm -hmm. to figure out what we can do together and whether it's in their budget. Um, ideally, they would self validate already with, you know, they, they see some of my, the, some of their pains being resolved by reading my material on LinkedIn or the booklets. And then they reach out to me and want that specifically. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes I, I, I meet with them on a one on one call and then pitch a custom proposal to them, mm -hmm. uh, which covers the basis for most of my engagements. But I like to, if, if I can make a bespoke, I will. Yeah. Um, now I'm I'm working on a productized service right now and with, with help of you, your current TPS uh, cohort. Yep. Uh, and what I'm thinking about is just having a tech team audit. Uh, that's the best name I have for it right now, which is basically just you're going through some pain you reach out to me, we go through your main pain points and I shadow you on some meetings and I'll tell you things that are obvious to me that are super not obvious to you that you can easily fix and address. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the sort of low hanging fruit for now. Cool. 
All right. Well, it sounds like you're getting the kinds of you're, you're attracting the kinds of leads that would potentially be interested in something like that. So that seems like a pretty good fit. Yeah, it's 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 not not as automated as I would like. So I would like to have a little bit more cadence with my leads. Mm-hmm. Right now, right now it's more or less one or two off. So I, I have a I have a big client, a medium client, and then just as they sort of stream out, a few new ones come in. Um, I have enough, let's say, wiggle room in my in my execution pipeline to to to, to be more intense um, with those with, with my with my time commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm trying to optimize that. Got um, it. Right. Okay. Cool. So, uh, so <clears throat> you send a custom proposal, and is it a three option sort of thing, or it, it's you... a three option sort of thing? Yeah. It's either. It's small, medium, large. Small is one on one doing a tech audit and then meeting with the meeting with the um, tech lead one on one weekly. With it's essentially like a monthly retainer. Mm-hmm. The medium option is meeting with the team regularly. So it's I meet with the team on a strategy meeting weekly, a tactical meeting, and with the tech lead one on one. And the big option is I also pair with the team outside of these meetings. So I'm also part of the team and I communicate to the outside world that I'm part of this team. So I might I might represent the team with offshore companies or I might be tactically involved in I've explained the concept, but it doesn't it, it doesn't stick. So rather than telling, I show. Mm-hmm. And then I have I huddle or I I pair or mop program on a huddle with the team to actually get them moving forward. Okay. Um, so that they can follow my example, you know, if it if it takes too long to 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 sort of learn academically or theoretically. Right. And does that in a case like that is is your pull request the one that that's going in, or or is it ultimately their responsibility? What code is you know? So like, in this top tier option, if the site goes down on a Saturday, are you getting a phone call or or not? No, I mean. If they if they choose the uh, the 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 large option, the, the site doesn't go down on Saturday. <laughs> that's the whole point. And it, it was my pull request. I like the confidence. No, but that's but that's my point, right? I mean, a lot of teams we 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 had with the with the company um, with the company that picked the large option right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, we we had a they did a Friday evening deploy a few weeks ago, and we did a retrospective on it and. It's it's a typical scenario. It's like, hey, did everybody enjoy that? Was that fun? And everybody's like, no. <laughs> then it's <laughs> one more question like that, and I'm like, <laughs> um, and then I ask them, hey, did you plan to do Friday evening deploy? And everybody's like, no, of course not. Did you plan not to do it? And everybody's like, one, two, three, bloop, light bulb moment. Because it's really <laughs> easy to avoid it if you plan not to do it. Right. If you say, well, if the question I like to ask them is, well, if to, if today is Tuesday and you know that there's an unexpected, unplanned late Friday deploy coming up this week, what would you do today to not to plan to not do that? <laughs> and everybody's like, well, we would split up the work, slice it up a little bit more aggressively and try to deploy tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, that's that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? And then everybody just realigns and reshifts priorities. No questions asked. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes it's that easy. You just gotta you just gotta have somebody in there who is not emotionally stressed out and too invested to the project on a tactical level, so they can just strategically ask the stupid questions. Mm-hmm. I'm just there shadowing and asking stupid questions. Nice. That's my role. And and I am yes with the large option I am coding, but I am coding with a lot of assumptions. Right. So I bring a lot of my experience in there. Um, even I have some really wacky testing strategies. If they te- if they can't test their critical path, I'll I'll make their critical path testable extremely quickly. Whether that's <laughs> you know like creating a clone for whatever whatever it is they're integrating with, like just very quickly, um, or iteratively making their whole whole let's say legacy system encapsulated into some kind of anti-corruption layer and then i test like and then i treat it like a black box and teach them how to do testing with cdc or end-to-end tests or no i avoid that but integrate the high level integration tests where we're testing the behavior of what everybody's doing Mm -hmm. Uh, i oftentimes also see them just shadow them when i see them do a lot of repetitive stuff manually 
Like, what uh, do you mean? Uh, updating, for example, I might ask them, hey, do you want to, why can't we deploy this? Well, I haven't tested it yet. Okay, are you going to write a test? And they're like, no. Okay, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, test it manually. Okay, on, 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 on production? It's like, no, 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 locally first. Then I ask them, okay, when you test locally, what's your confidence right now that it works? And they're like, zero. Okay, when you test locally, what's your confidence level that it will work on production? And they're like, 20%. Okay, so where does that 80% come from? Well, then I'll deploy the staging and test again. Hmm, okay. So once you test on staging, what's your confidence level that it will work in production? Uh, 60%. And I'm like, okay, so where does that remaining 40% come from? Well, deploying on production. Well, okay, so today you're testing on local. Then if everything goes well, tomorrow you're testing on staging. And then... And then in two days, hopefully, if everything goes well and you pass the code review and nobody else pushed a branch that would not now conflict with yours in the meantime, then maybe we'll deploy in two days. They're like, yeah. And then the yeah. customers will test it on production. Yeah. And then I asked them, can I watch you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched them do it. And then I wrote, write down everything they're doing. Right. Uh, because if I can write it down, most of the steps that they're doing manually I can spot a pattern and I can tell, well, you did this and this and this and this and this. And then you knew exactly what your feature was. You did this and then you tested whether your feature did what you expected it to do <laughs> and whether it broke something that you were working on that you know can have a regression with what you worked on last week or last month. But that to me, you know, mentally is, is a test and it's an acceptance test specifically mm-hmm. and an acceptance integration test. Uh, but their code might not be modular enough for them to actually write it into the code base. So I just observe them and then I write it down on a piece of paper. And when I show it to them, they're like, oh, we can write a test for this. And I tell them, yeah, we can automate this. Like maybe not running the test, but at least you can create a script that just does what you just did with Postman and calling the endpoints and then what looking at the database and eyeballing eyeballing stuff in the in the in in the in the whatever GUI they're using to look at the database. Yep. You can just automate all those queries, all those checks, and we know exactly what you're expecting to see. You can just write that down before you actually go and deploy to production. And that's how it starts. That's how it's like in the really messy code bases, that's how it starts. I observe them, I watch them, I write it down, and then I show them, okay, I, I watched you do it yesterday manually, and now I wrote a test that mimics you doing that exactly the way you did it, but you did it for two hours, and this script now runs it in 40 seconds. Right. <laughs> And then that's yeah. that gets the wheels turning, and then everybody's like, "Oh, okay, okay, well, I can I can use that thing that Dennis created, and I can modify it, and now we can have a whole test suite, and then oh, and now the QA person can join in, and then, and that gets the ball rolling. And usually that's like month one, month two. Mm-hmm. Um, the first week is just tactical, tactical, getting really getting to know the team and writing some easier tests. Yep. But then after like four weeks, four to six weeks. I get into the really nitty gritty of, okay, why are deployments slow? Like if I ask the question, why aren't we deploying today? And everybody's like, well, I need to test it on my local machine first. I, I get into that. I get really annoying <laughs> and I get, and I really persistent on that annoying question of, well, you want to deploy I think it's ready, but you won't deploy for another three days. What are we going to do about it? Right. <laughs> so that's, that's amazing for, for, just to paint a picture for folks, the story you just told about, you know, talking to the dev about needing to test locally and the percent chance it'll run and then on staging and that like, where are you having this conversation? Was this a sort of uh, like ad hoc thing that you just jumped in? Or is this like a scheduled meeting? Do you have these meetings with, with all the individual devs and say, hey, what are you working on? Are you sort of, I'm assuming this is remote and not in person, but I could be wrong. So like what... How, what are the mechanics of how you end, end up in a conversation like that? So they introduce me to the team. We connect on Slack. Um, usually the, the, the engagement is scoped to a team. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows that they're part of, you know, having focus time with Dennis twice a week. And the tech lead know that they're having a one-on-one with me. Um, so on a weekly cadence, I just go through, you know, the main pain points. You know, are you guys in agreement what the priorities are? Yes. Okay. Can I hear it? Okay, that doesn't sound like agreement. Can we do it again? <laughs> and so then, are all and the then team I meetings. Oh, sorry, go ahead. And then that's like a tactical meeting. A strategic meeting would be me just presenting 
theory on what the main driven design is, what clean architecture is, how event storming might help them, what kind of return on investment can they expect in like this week or in this month if they start doing TDD, if they start doing event modeling, if they start doing uh, context mapping or an event storming session with their product person. Um, because they, they might not even know. They might not even know. Well, then it's why should we invest, you know, two hours with a meeting with, with this and this and that if we already have all of our tickets in Jira? Um, and oftentimes they don't know that, you know, maybe their acceptance criteria for the tickets are lousy. So that's why the tickets aren't going anywhere because nobody has defined what done means. Um, and to me, done is usually valuable to the, to me, my definition of done is valuable to the customer to the degree that we can capture revenue from it. Like that is to me a high level of done. Right, because if it's if it's not if it's valuable to the customer, that in itself is amazing. But if we can then capture revenue from it, that is then amazing plus to the business. Yeah, uh, and that is the 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 feedback loop that a lot of engineers are missing. And there is also a lot of misery points that I see that developers are experiencing in fan companies, where the company is just so large that there is no customer anymore. It's just about the profit margins for the shareholders. Um, so they, they're completely disconnected from any kind of user feedback. Mm. You know, like you, you check in code, it passes tests, it passes code review, but then you're just constantly worried about your 360 review, about your pips, about your quarterly review, your performance review, about not getting laid off in the next cycle. And everybody is super stressed out. Like they're, they're one of the highest paid professionals period on the planet, you know, making, you know, every, anywhere from half a million to 1.5 million per year. Mm. But they're just miserable because they're just too far away from the cost from 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 any from any tangible feedback from the customer. Like, yes, you 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 built a feature and somebody actually paid you for it. I can't tell you enough the elation that I felt like selling my first coaching hours with a client, selling my first this service that I'm doing now to my first client, selling my first booklet. That felt amazing because yeah. I because I felt. Oh, I did this. I presented it, and somebody found it valuable enough to pay me for it. Right. Uh, you know, to have that gratification loop back to the team. Well, to me, the solopreneur from the customer is extremely valuable, even when it's not valuable. Even when they sell me no, then it's sorry. This this sucks. <laughs> I then bring them on and have a chat with them and try to learn why. You know, where where the value was missing. Where where I where I missed the mark. So yeah, it, it like it sounds like Fang developers just feel like they're sending their, their pull request to DevNull, or they might as well be. So okay, so how you mentioned ROI and how do you, how do you measure that? Is there a progress metric for that during the engagement? Is it yes? Okay, what what do you use to sort of report to your buyer or to indicate to your buyer that that it was the money? It's money well spent. So, th so there are two things here, right? So first of all, there's the layer of the engagement that paying me is valuable to them, that mm -hmm. it's not a cost that it's actually, you know, it's reducing <laughs> cost, not <laughs> creating new costs. Um, that in itself, I'm measuring on a very subjective level. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, the feedback I received was, you know, I start, I start moving a few simple things and everybody feels like they have superpowers. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is a very positive ROI because it's just instant stress relief for the team. And the and the team lead or the VPE is aware of that stress relief in how would they become aware of that stress relief? Um, they the team gets to celebrate more often, which really brings lifts up team morale mm -hmm. and they can usually have meaningful conversations in in um, smaller cadences. Generally, they would ask the team to do something and it would slog off for like a week, two, three. And then maybe they would could they could course correct once a month. Um, once they start working with me, that can happen like once or twice per week. And then now with this team specifically, uh, several times per day. Okay. So they're so what is what does the VPE have their eye on that makes them happy? So is it is it they're clearing tickets way faster or in their one-on-ones or their stand-ups or individual meetings with the team members, they're just reporting, you know, five out of five uh, satisfaction they're rating? They're eliminating waste from their process. But how do they know that? Well, if they haven't defined any success criteria or let's say sprint goals, if they're following sprints, 
then I hold them accountable. Well, I helped, I, I helped them hold themselves accountable to writing them. And, you know, to give you an example, the most shocking thing we do is cancel a sprint. Um, <laughs> yeah, when, I want to talk about that. Yeah, because sometimes they just want to do something and I just ask them questions about, well, what is important right now? And does the team agree? Like, is the team aligned? Does everybody understand what's important right now? And if the team doesn't understand and everybody's moving in a different direction, we cancel the sprint and we realign. So what happens is that they get feedback much faster. So that they, they might not get the production release out, you know, instead of four months and three months, you know, starting off, mm-hmm. but at least they get bad news extremely quickly. So they get feedback from the team extremely quickly. That is, I would say, signal number one. Um, and signal number two is the level of confidence and cadence that the so the frequency at which the team deploys increases um, drastically. Okay, that's that's really concrete. And is the is the VPE or the buyer typically in the meetings when you're doing these group meetings? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they're so they're witnessing. Yes. Okay. Great. I mean, at if at all possible, if I'm not presenting like something theoretical, then. I'm usually facilitating conversation between them. Like for example, last week I was two weeks ago I was facilitating a conversation between them, the team I am coaching, and their product owner. Yep. So I I gave them a list of questions of how to conduct it. I was there facilitating the conversation, and then I just ha- had them go at the product owner and ask questions that they've never asked before in ten years. <laughs> and then everybody was like, "Wow!" And I, and I was then I was also record keeping, so I was. Um, documenting everything, mm-hmm. giving it my own little twist on with like a mirror board. So I was really giving it a lot of detail, but what I heard and, you know, I, I also focus on domain driven design, like the domain specific language. So I, I, I put a lot of emphasis on the words being used and the words being exchanged to denote differences and nuances in meaning that the engineers can then use to name things, you know, because naming things when you're working on some kind of abstract model, factory creator pattern thing, singleton factory <laughs> creator thing, thing magic, it gets really annoying to, to then have somebody tell you, well, yeah, but that's doing seven different things. Can you split it up into 12 different things? And then everything being, everything's being called a thing magic of some kind, mm-hmm. a manager component, class controller thing, command. And, um, the business doesn't think about these things in, in, in those terms. And uh, a lot of engineering teams that I work with have never experienced extracting vocabulary from the product owner. And that is extremely valuable. So okay. that would be, I think, number three on, you know, what what, what signals uh, the product, uh, the, the, the VPE gets. Uh, the signal is that the team starts using much more uh, product and maybe customer facing terminology in their tickets, in their daily communication, in their priorities, they might start using nuance and detail the way that a customer does, rather than saying, yeah, you know, that table here where that flag is there. It's like, no, 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 that that for the customer, that is a particular kind of alignment with their order. And it's a particular type of exception for their taxation, you know, and then those words seep into the code base slowly. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, I've been on projects where I maintained a glossary because th- because the, the communication was so bad that everybody was using. It, it wasn't <clears> just <throat> they were using different words for the same things. They were using the same words for different same things. Same words for different things. Yeah, that, that that's the worst. That's yeah. the worst. Because tell them, hey, your order you're using and your order that you're using and the owner that the product owner just said that used in three different contexts, you know, <laughs> these are seven different things. And you don't have words for them. Right. And we spend 30 minutes every day just checking wait do you mean the thing thing or the other thing thing <laughs> and you know because they don't have a domain specific language and then <laughs> then i see if i see that this is a problem i have a strategy meeting with them on on tuesdays usually mm-hmm. it's like okay i'm going to present why this would be useful to you right now so the roi and then on in two days i have another meeting with them doing it practically so inviting in a product inviting in some a technical a non-technical co-founder and just interviewing them, teaching them how to interview them to extract this. And we do the same, we have the same order of business for whether it's DDD or test-driven development or event modeling, event storming, um, even things like continuous integration, continuous deployment, continuous delivery, increasing their quality and testing. Hmm. I cover a lot of, I wear I wear many hats. The main reason I, I meet with the one, with the tech lead is that I figure out what their priorities are. If they don't know, uh, 
then I help them figure it out week one. Mm -hmm. And then I adapt what I am doing to what their priorities are. Yep. So maybe they are in when I'm start working with them, they're in some kind of planning phase. Okay, so I adapt everything to planning. So it's a little bit more event storming, a little bit more DDD, a little bit more experimentation. They might not be expecting to deploy. We're planning the we're planning right now, Dennis. And I'm like, well, shouldn't we deploy something <laughs> this week to figure out all those unknowns that we are leaving off for the end? Yeah. Like like what? And then I sprinkle some ideas and like, well, we haven't done we have never done it that way before. I'm like, yeah, but would shouldn't we try? And and then it gets the wheels turning. Um, mm -hmm. you know, this is what just-in-time training is. Like they don't know what they'll get, but then we have a commitment that it will improve code health. Um, so you asked me the ROI. I also strictly ask for three KPIs of the tech lead at the beginning of the engagement for us, which is one KPI measuring the tactical level. So not per se code coverage, but the amount of useful tests on the critical path. Mm -hmm. And then we define what the critical path is. It's usually payment related or something that the customers really value. Uh, number two is deployment cadence and overall code health with a, a tool like Code Scene or SonarCube. And number three is a very much team morale uh, metric, which is um, how stressed out is the team, how often did reprioritization happen, uh, was there a deployment on Friday afternoon? Uh, was deployment difficult? Was there a mess up, you know, midway through the sprint? Was was there no deployments being done and promised? Was there something done on Monday and then not released? Just regular sort of blocker management, essentially, and how that affects the, the morale and sort of the cynicism level or the optimism level of the team. But what we're measuring on the last with that last subjective metric is essentially if the team did well this sprint, did they celebrate? Because mm -hmm. one of the pain points I'm helping them address is also sometimes the team is just pushed too hard. So they know they can do X, but their sprint is being planned for 2X. So even if they deliver X, they can't celebrate because they, they always feel behind. They always feel like there's something that they didn't deliver. Um, so this is going to sound like a stupid question, but what do you mean specifically by the team celebrated? I'm well. I'm checking with their well well being at the end of the week or at the end of the cycle. As a group or individually? Um, both. Okay. Both. Okay. And so, um, and then you're the one that basically measures their subjective experience of the the last. No, I'm 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 asking them to measure it. I'm just checking whether they've done so and what what the general temperature in the room is. Because Got if it. everybody is cynical about just coming to work, mm -hmm. quality will degrade over time. Right. You know, it it takes a well-nurtured, benevolent, enlightened team to really, really get into the into the continuous improvement track as a company, as a culture, as, you know, as typical digital transformation might lead you to believe. Mm, cool. Um, so, yeah, let's let's pivot a little bit into the pricing. So so you did say that you give them sort of a small, medium and large, good, better, best proposal. They pick something. And let's say it's the top one. So that's the most intense one. Is mm -hmm. it a, those three different things, are they all ongoing monthly things or is it uh, time boxed? Are they all time boxed or is it some kind of a mixture? Right now it's a monthly thing. I'm so regardless of how many hours I work, I usually under promise and over deliver. So regardless of how many hours I work, I price them fixed uh, every month. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, I charge them fixed every month. I price them based on just the level of engagement that they want and the value that it can provide, uh, um, which usually for them specifically is some combination of, well, if this is going to improve the productivity of the team drastically, I'm pricing it essentially on the current cost of the team, um, which means that whatever geographical region they might be in will impact price to some degree, which... Yep sucks a little bit for me, but for them, it's amazing because they essentially get free um, cost uh, so pricing parity, right? So right now I'm working with a Romanian company. So for them, it's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good deal because they essentially get somebody who's worked in US and European company. Like I worked in US and European companies with, I almost have 
20 years of experience and they get that for the price of what they would locally pay for for a developer but i i don't promise full-time um full-time um in intensity right i'm just there shadowing coaching mentoring and with the with the big intensity engagement i hold them accountable to knowing what the priorities are to hold themselves accountable to knowing what the priorities are and then when we agreed what the priorities are i help with the most important thing i see a pain point i help them address it and then that really that that really gets the really painful repetitive routine pain away it's like it's like telling somebody who's never brushed their teeth before just <laughs> Just brush your teeth every every morning and every evening, and it'll be fine. It'll suck for a while, but it'll be fine. Um, and then when I see something, some mishap happening on a large scale, I, I I jump in immediately without them having to sort of manage me. So I'm basically a VPE slash tech lead slash senior engineer um, that is fully autonomous, following their priorities without requiring a huge amount of management. Mm, cool. And Sorry. how long do the thanks? Yeah, that's a perfect description. And now how long do these engagements typically go? Do they have, you know, do you say like, ah, it'll probably take six months in your situation, but it could be longer. It could be less. You just go until they say, okay, we're all set. Mm -hmm. Or is there like a, or when you start, do you say, okay, we'll check in and say, well, we're going to do this for six months. It's going to be this much per month, every month for six months. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, we'll reconvene and see if you want to go for another six months. Or is it more like you just sort of, you're, you're feeling over time, like you're delivering less and less value because the team is really growing mm -hmm. with your assistance. And you're kind of like, I don't think these people need me anymore. And then you volunteer that to the buyer and say, look, I, I think we're probably done here. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have that. So I'm not confident. My positioning is not nailed down enough yet that I could say, okay, we're going to start off with three months or six months or 12 months and then go from there. Mm -hmm. um, so what I am doing right now is I'm I'm usually meeting them for an audit. Generally, they need somewhere between two to six weeks at first to really get a feel for it. And that's my recommendation. I gave them a recommendation of maybe one or two months, price that first with them. Um, and then whether we're going to continue with an ongoing monthly retainer or um, I encourage them to, I give them a little bit of a discount if they pay in advance for three months. Mm -hmm. uh, because it makes my life a little bit easier regarding my own time management. Sure. Um, so that's that's there right now. I, I don't have my positioning nailed down enough yet for me to be pricing anything a bit more long term. Mm -hmm. But generally, the moment the team plateaus, I'm out. What does that look like when the team plateaus? The team gets to a point where if we where the the continuous drive for growth is no longer organic it's being forced so they're like okay we learned a lot but now we're just gonna now i just want to apply this for a year or six months mm -hmm. like i, I don't want to learn anymore um <laughs> and things and are I, demonstrably better at that point it's just a yes, question yes, of yes, how much yes, better do yes. we want them so it, so it, it's like somebody who's you know going to um where, to the gym to work out and they, they're in a bad shape and then they improve their shape but so they go on a really intense program for six months and then they're taper off and then like okay now i'm gonna do it you know three times a week not six mm -hmm. um, maintenance. So, yeah exactly so i offer them then a maintenance call with me essentially you know to go back down in intensity to that you know to the small option where i'm meeting with a tech lead to check in whether you know whether the metrics are still in place so that they don't regress while i'm gone mm -hmm. um which is you know which is my main value proposition to them like i want them to do this not need to be forcing it uh right so it has to work well even when i'm not in the room so i'm, I'm very conscious of not being a enabler and then the disabler when i leave the room <laughs> so I'm, I'm just there to facilitate them learning it and doing it themselves which is why it's important that they learn how it applies to them not how dennis wants to do it yeah and get hooked on it like they're like oh yeah, exactly. this is way better yeah yeah but that, but that, but i think that's where that getting hooked that is a staple of of my success story so far. Like, there, I, I get a lot of feedback where Dennis, we tried it. Like, yes. Oh, so this is how. <laughs> so this is how serious mature companies do this. You yeah. know, and then they, they get this feeling of, oh, we're we we we're we're professionals now. <laughs> like <laughs> developers. <laughs> <It's> like, hell <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, because it's really the simple things 
of maybe optimizing a little bit more requests out of one server or optimizing or or maybe they just have a really rigid system where you know even we haven't gotten to canceling sprints yet but maybe they have a really rigid deployment cycle and i asked them you deployed something that doesn't affect uh the client but you know it works like you have a hundred percent confidence it works in production they're like yes why are you waiting for QA? Why are you waiting for code review? Repair programs with this other person. Why are you waiting for the branch to be merged? Why are you waiting for somebody else to tell you it's okay? Just freaking deploy it <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. You're you're 100 confident. Like don't follow the process if the process is following you down. Change the process. Question the process. Question everything. Like adapt the process to serve you, and then execute on the process. Change the process every week for every sprint so that you know what amount of process you need to execute well just for this. Mm. Right, so so that yeah, yeah. So let, let's go <laughs> into the cancel sprint thing, because that was, we <laughs> talked about that after the last call. And yeah, that's is, one of the most shocking things that uh, Yeah, <laughs> so so let's talk about that. So I, I know there's a lot of software developers <laughs> listening. Probably everybody else has tuned out by now. So <laughs> it's I think it's okay if we if, if you get pretty geeky about this so you said something to me previously about canceling sprint and i was like sort of baffled by like but what do you you know you can't um, sprint starts on monday let's say you cancel it on thursday like what does the team do for the rest of the sprint or do you change like how do you how do the mechanics of that work so if, could you just describe why you would cancel the sprint and then when you cancel the sprint what what that even means so the first thing is i usually really like to share a James Copeland video that I really like um, to the tech lead at the beginning of the week about, you know, just what a sprint is, what a sprint is for. You know, a sprint is for delivering on a sprint goal. Like, I don't, just to be clear, I don't say, I never say you need sprints. As far as I'm concerned, we're just working every day and deploying stuff every day. I don't need sprints to do that. Right. I like to me, the mechanics of a sprint hold no value. But you know, if the teams were, if the team is using sprints, then I would like to see a sprint goal in each sprint. You know, a lot of a lot of teams just name their sprints, and they have pretty goofy names, and then there's like tickets and everything like colorful and epics, and everything's assigned. <laughs> but but if I can't see the sprint, you know, the, there's an optional text field in Jira under the title of the sprint which says sprint goal, and it should really describe to the team in no uncertain terms using client-facing terminology what the heck the client's going to get this week or, you know, at the end of the sprint. Mm -hmm. And if that's not there, I show essentially the tech lead, the ROI of having that there. And then if they adopt it and they have it there, I encourage them to cancel the sprint once the team is no longer following that goal. What, you know, is, when, what does that mean? So like, it would seem to me that if the goal was there, then the tickets that were pulled in for the for that sprint would be aligned with that goal, no? No, it's, it's usually... Guys, can you hurry up with X? We need to urgently start on Y. And I'm like, okay, you guys are working on X. Product wants to work on Y. Okay, guys, this is, is X done today? No. Okay, cancel X. Start working on Y. Mm -hmm. You know, like product is telling you, hey guys, hurry up with that thing we planned, but then determined wasn't important. We want you to start working on the important thing as fast as possible because the starting deadline is approaching, right? So the the deadline of when we need to start in order to hit the roadmap is approaching and you guys need to start now, 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 or maybe the starting deadline is already passed and they are now thinking about maybe canceling parts of the roadmap. So um, someone, so basically someone in product changed their priorities. Yeah, like the, there's that little bit of pressure coming in and, you know, you plan the sprint. It's like, yeah, we, we will plan it because it looks like a low hanging fruit. Like we will put it in the sprint if it's one day, turns out to be three. And then you know the the this pressure comes in. Right. I'm sure I'm sure every developer knows this pressure. It's like yeah, okay, true. yeah, like it was nice that we started doing that, but now it's taking a little bit too long. Can you wrap up? And usually I see developers say, Yeah, yeah I'm gonna wrap up and then have it finished by tomorrow. I jump in, I say, Hell no, like this should have been wrapped up two days ago. It's not wrapped today, now you're pre now you're promising in two days. Hell no. Yeah, this is no longer upfront. If you told us yeah, upfront it was going to take upfront. five days, we would have said, don't do it. Exactly. And then I asked the product, hey, if you knew that this is going to take five days, would you even do it? And and usually they tell the development team, 
in no uncertain terms, hell no, we thought it was really quick. We really need to start on this other thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's when we cancel the sprint. Uh, if the if the sprint goal was following the thing that the team is wasting time with. Right, right, right. Okay, it makes total sense. And yes, I've been there a hundred times. Yeah. But, so... but what I do encourage them is to under plan the sprint and finish it early. Like generally what generally every time we cancel a sprint, the next sprint we finish early. And it always surprises them. And I, and I always promise them, you know, it, once you get serious about your priorities, you will start hitting, never mind hitting deadlines. You will surpass, like you will hit them early. You'll be, your team will be watching the ceiling, asking for, well, we finished early. We didn't expect that. What should we do next? But, but I tell them, like, don't start a sprint when you finish early. Now you have time for support tickets. It's like, just don't, just don't start one. You know, and, and you asked me this question last time, you know, it's, it's sprint starts on Monday and it's two weeks and you cancel it on Wednesday. Like, what do you do on the remaining day? Um, my advice is, well, if we cancel the sprint, we replan the sprint on Wednesday and we have another sprint Wednesday to Wednesday. Right. Like we just just shift the calendar. Yeah. We just shift the calendar. Like we don't, we don't just magically twiddle our thumbs and (laughs) (laughs) wait for the next (laughs) allowed, agreed upon sprint cycle to emerge from the mystical Monday. Um, No, we actually just, you know, we already have everything prioritized. They're just out of order. You just dump everything out of Jira and we just put it back in in the right order and we continue work. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but if they finish, so then they're on a, they do have a clear objective for the sprint that, you know, it's supposed to be a two week sprint. They finish it in a week. And now it's yeah, like, it's like it's, if it's planned for 10 days, they usually finish it in eight. Mm-hmm. And then, so you get great. You got two days to just, just kind of keep yeah. yourself busy, like work on other stuff. Yeah. Like if, if usually they have support tickets mixed in or somebody working on support, or maybe there's like some kind of deal with some other team and who's doing support and who's doing triage, mm-hmm. um, or bug fixing. But generally I tell them, you know, yeah, you can start another sprint or you can just, you know, have most of the team work on support, wrap up things that are really now, you know, the things that you canceled, maybe you can address them now and then just continue your normal cycle. Once mm-hmm. you finished, you know, once, once the customer has been given value, you right. get a lot of flexibility, but if you're constantly catching up and you're constantly behind that, you, you need to be on a rigid system because you're sort of punishing yourself for not taking prioritization seriously. Mm. And when the, who's involved in a sprint planning meeting, like what people are there is product there. I'm, I'm not involved in their sprint planning meeting. Like I'm, I am, I'm specifically, um, not. So I don't want to have influence in how they plan. Like mm-hmm. I don't like sprints, so I don't want to be there being the asshole saying, "Hey, why are we having sprints?" No, like they have their own meetings. I'm not involved in their road mappings. I'm not involved with sprint plannings. Okay. But the tech lead will have questions. Like Dennis, I'm gonna plan the sprint with the team on Monday. You know, what should we focus on? And then I give them general advice on you know what they can do differently what they can do differently on their dailies, what they can do differently on their sprint plannings. Mm-hmm. And then just go do them. Sometimes, you know, maybe once or twice I'll shadow them to really, you know, if there's something really goofy going on, um, I might shadow them. You know, if the, if, so, if a company has like an eight hour sprint meeting, I want to see that. <laughs> I, I like that. I'm getting popcorn and I want to see that because there's probably somebody just binge, binge arguing and uh, reprioritizing. And, you know, I, arguing. and I need to, I'm doing a document that I write it down and then give them actionable feedback. Yeah. So the, the, the reason I, well, that's good to know that it's not, that's not part of your time, uh, on a normal, in, under normal circumstances. Uh, I'm wondering about the, if there's any friction when sprint planning meetings are, it sounds like they're jumping all over the place. Like though they were Monday for a while, but now they're Wednesdays and then there's now they're on Tuesdays. Now they're on Fridays. Like, does anybody care? No, but that's the point. Like sprints are by themselves meaningless. Yeah. So nobody should care. Right. But because nobody should care, we should be able to carelessly cancel them and move them around. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's you, if, if you get sick, you can move meetings around willy nilly on your calendar. No mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. We get, you know, we, for God's sake, with daylight saving, we're moving the time around. <laughs> and then you're telling me you can't cancel a sprint or finish it early. Hell no. Yeah, <laughs> we're right. canceling the sprint if it's necessary. But yeah. you know, but but I always say it's about bringing valuable 
features to the client that you can capture as revenue. That That is the main cycle. If the team does that once, twice, three times every week, then that is our main cadence of progress. Um, and if that's not there, then we are addressing it. Like we're, we're not we're not waiting till the end of the sprint to have a retrospective. God, no, because then you've already wasted your entire sprint. And then you're going to talk about how you wasted the entire sprint. <laughs> no, like if I'm seeing it's going to happen, I'm going to, you know, pull the bricks and have a chat. And then if I see the team is not aligned, I will realign them before they invest two weeks of their time. How do you see the the first thing? The first thing you said that it's they're not delivering, or like, do they have? Do they each developer individually estimate how long they think a thing is going to take, and then you can just look in Jira and say like, oh, this this person's taking already twice as long as they thought they would. No, Jonathan, we don't even estimate. Like, if they estimate, I gave them even off of that cocaine bill. You know, like it's, it's because it's well, not. How do you know if it's getting off track? Well, because I can I can just see their 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 delivery cadence. Like, you know, generally, if they use pizzas or story points or hours or whatever they're using, if their stories are sl small enough, if their stories are sliced, and I use usually a combination of event modeling, TDD, and um, just pure agile story slicing methodology to do this, if their stories are small enough, then the team will either deliver a story each day per person or a story each week per person. Like we have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to optimize that particular cadence. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me that you're on the weekly track, then a team of five people will deliver five stories. And then if I see that you only delivered four and you wanted to deliver five, that to me is measure enough. Like it doesn't matter how much they were estimated to because the team will generally create tickets of equal sizes. And if I can see that a ticket is not moving forward, then that one's too large and I call them out on it. Mm. So, right, so it's what dashboard are you looking at? So you're just looking in Jira, whatever they're using, mm -hmm. Jira, Trello, Basecamp, Kanban boards. And so like every day you take 15 minutes or something and you go check that out. No, I, I check it. I check it out once or twice per week. That's enough. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I meet with the team two times per week and then with the tech lead on a different day once a week. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm in contact with the team at least three times per week. And uh, if they're on the big on the big intensity option, then I meet with them essentially every day. Yep. Um, so the only thing I need to the only thing I'm scanning for is whether they are aligned on what's important. If they are aligned on what's important, and they agree on what's important, if everybody in the team can describe to each other what they think is important. And if I do that in a black box, and everybody gives me the same answer, then I'm like, you guys don't need me. Yep. Makes sense. But if but if everybody gives a slightly different nuanced answer, if everybody gives a slightly different change in in priorities, then that will create friction. That will slow the team down, and that will impact. That will create some unwanted or accidental dependencies between deployments, and that will then be unexpected. You know, either sluggish behavior on yeah, it was done on Wednesday, but then we didn't deploy it. So what I'm looking for is. If somebody tells me, yeah, this is easy, it's going to be done tomorrow, I ask them, okay, can you put the deployment of it on the calendar? Because I'll meet with you and I'll watch you deploy. Um, and they're like, oh, no, well, I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay, well, when are you sure? <laughs> uh, well, maybe on Thursday. I was like, okay, well, let's put it on the calendar for Thursday. And then if they it's done on Thursday and they find a problem and then it's not deployed on Thursday, if it's deployed on Monday, then next week, okay, the root cause was we were super confident that something was easy. When is something easy? And they're like, yeah, well, something is easy when I can deploy the same week. <laughs> I'm like, well, then how can you tell me that it's done now and you're going to deploy today? Shouldn't we do something about that? Like, shouldn't we <laughs> have terminology to say it's easy on a weekly cadence or easy on a daily cadence? Right. Uh, and then usually that gets the wheels turning and we start talking. Once I get them to use terminology of, oh, yeah, like in the morning we meet, oh yeah, Dennis, uh, can you meet me in three hours? I'm going to deploy something I haven't started yet. I'm like, yeah, sure. You need well, that, help? That's an estimate of sorts. <clears throat> it is an estimate, but the point is they are not using Jira to estimate something to get permission to start working on it. They are using Jira asynchronously after the fact to document what they are doing. 
They're okay. not, you know, like most engineers use Jira to figure out what they should be doing and when they should have been done and when, you know, like it, they're using it like a recipe, mm-hmm. not as a documentation tool. Got it. Yeah, I I never had the pleasure of using Jira, so I'm not really <laughs> I mean, you're not missing out on anything. I guess. Yeah. Like any tool is just a tool. Right. But, but really, it has to capture... I mean, you've probably done this before. You probably have a calendar. Like Jira is just a glorified calendar. If you have a calendar and you put to-dos on your calendar mm-hmm. and you have five to-dos for today and you only do one and right. then you move four of them tomorrow, hell no, you're not doing four of them tomorrow. <laughs> right? Like it's, 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 that, it's that kind of thing. When I get you to the cadence of you don't put it on the calendar anymore so you get motivated to do it, but you do it after the fact, after you've done it, I'm happy. That is really important distinction, right? It's you're it's you're you're using it to document historical, like the truth. This is what happened. The, the, the facts, yes. Right. So the team agreed this, this was a priority. We did this, everything that was done instantly. Yeah, we just created a, like a tracking ticket that we have done this so that the release could be tagged. And then everything that takes more than one day or a few hours, then we created a ticket just to track it after the team was already agreed and are actively working on it. Mm-hmm. And then the developers yeah. create their own tickets. They assign it to themselves. You know, there isn't that sort of top level micromanagement needed anymore. Huh. Um, and then they sort of start being autonomous because everybody agrees what's important. Right. Yeah. They right. all so know what the you, objective is. They all know what the objective is. They all know what the sprint goal is. And everybody's like, okay, well, okay, well, we can't all do it at the same time. Okay. So you're going to do that. Okay. So you need, okay, who's owning this? Okay. I'm owning it. Oh, that person's sick. Okay, I'm gonna take over because I was working on something less important than they were. And if they are, agree on what the, the the priority dependencies between each other between them is, it's like if Bob is working on something high priority and Bob cannot share that, that work, then Steve will work on number two. But then Bob gets sick, then Steve is like, "Oh, I'm gonna cancel what I was working on, regardless of how far along I was, and take over what Bob was working on because he's sick and his thing was number one." Mm. Like, and the, once a team starts doing that. You just at the end of the day or during the day, just document in Jira. Like it's like, oh hey, we move this thing, we underprioritize this. This is now on hold. That's a priority. This became a blocker because Bob is sick uh, and nobody's available or nobody understands to take over. So we don't want to mess with it until we we get like a green light from management, things like that. And then you document that, and then the next morning it's all resolved. Right. But the, but the teams that I work with, they never had the fortune of just working on a functional, great performing team like that. Mm. So they have no experience with this. They are using, they are using Jira as a projection of the past, of what somebody in the past thought the future should look like, mm-hmm. and they're really, really investing a lot of money to make that, to you know, to synchronize that that um, to, that picture as time goes on. Right. And the further and the further away you are from the planning point, the more the more um, unrealistic, the more detached from reality it becomes. So I'm just <laughs> teaching the team how to plan their day. How to plan their day just to meet in the morning it's like hey not huddling over what did we do yesterday am i blocked what am i gonna do today mm-hmm. it's and it's that no it's like hey guys do we agree on what the priorities are okay what are the priorities i want to hear everybody you think that's the team's priority you think that's the team okay okay well, this person you said something else than yesterday did the priorities change then they will say yes like i learned this and this and this and this and then everybody's on the team's like Oh, holy, holy cow. I think I should help you because we didn't know that yesterday. It's like, yeah, we probably should. Okay. So we should probably replan the day. Should we cancel the sprint? No, no, no. We're still following the same goal. We just found an obstacle that everybody has to sort of tackle now today. Mm. And then you do that. And then that's the minimal ritual needed. It's like a small 15, 20 minute meeting, mm-hmm. which they can learn how to do themselves. Right. And then after the fact, when they've you know done half of it, at the end of the day, they just document it. Wild. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of novelty in there. Some, some, I think you described it as wacky <laughs> earlier. Um, and canceling I'm, a sprint usually shocks them. It's like, Dennis, um, I canceled the sprint. It's usually the further, <laughs> the phone call I get. Um, <laughs> the shameful admission. No, it's, it's just stressful because then after, like the next day, they realize that nobody cares. They just never done it before. Product doesn't care about sprints. Like the business doesn't care about sprints. Sprints were, I mean, Scrum was. 
a tool created by engineers for engineers. <laughs> like the customer yeah. doesn't care what you're like how far like how you know what's a huddle like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah can you guys can you guys huddle a little bit so you get that feature working so i can see my account balance like that. <laughs> right, right. nobody nobody talks like that right man this has like been a tour de force i think uh people are going to get a ton of value out of this um but i'm looking at the clock and we need to wrap up so yeah. uh, where can people go to find out more about what you're doing maybe ask you follow-up questions connect with you on linkedin maybe find some of these booklets share them with people who need them all that stuff yeah so i'm setting up a newsletter next week and my hub right now is my linkedin page so dennis chahuk on linkedin you'll if you Google for Coach Dennis or the Technologist Podcast, um, it all leads back to my to my hub on LinkedIn. There you can find my booklets, my podcast, and the, my daily posts if you follow me. Um, there's also a link there to doing a tech audit, a tech team audit, and scheduling a call with me or just you know message me one on one and we can talk. That's the Perfect. best place to find me. Perfect. Yeah. Dennis with one N. So yes. I will put all of that in the show notes. But Dennis, thanks again. That's been great. Yeah, th thanks for having me, John. I'm really glad that we that we got to repeat this. <laughs> you asked we, great questions. You're a great didn't... host. Oh, thank You're you. You're a great host. It's too bad we we could have recorded it the first time if I if I had realized how much... <laughs> like we didn't know where yeah. it was headed. Right. Well, all right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.